The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today I'm here with my guest, Dr. Alejandro Badia. Dr. Badia, are you ready to share with some quality people? I certainly am. All right, perfect. Well, we love to start every show with positive affirmations, really to get our momentum going. And we'd love if you could please share a favorite leadership mindset or a leadership quote, but tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? Uh, Certainly. Well, you know, leadership is something that uh, I think is developed over time. Um, I've always, I've always felt that entrepreneurs are, uh, people have to kind of persevere. Entrepreneurs are probably born, not made. Uh, but there's both components. But one thing that the old adage of uh, quitters never win and winners never quit uh, holds true. I, I think that's the hardest part of developing a new concept is, is not quitting. And that's, uh, I'm struggling with, with that myself uh, as we speak. Uh, there's no, uh, you know, I have to fully admit that. Well, so I, I love that mindset. And I guess I can appreciate it, Dr. Bedea, because I am still a fairly new entrepreneur myself, um, but even to our audience of healthcare leaders and other quality improvement professionals like myself who do plug in with this show, um, I think that's our mindset. Like even sometimes we know we're going to get a beat down on a daily basis with the work that we're doing to make healthcare better. And here we are still fighting every day we show up. So um, I can appreciate that mindset. I think our listeners can appreciate it as well. Yeah, it's well, that's that's a mindset we need um, in order to take our healthcare system from really being 20% of our GDP mm-hmm. and climbing to something more reasonable while maintaining quality. It's really, it, it takes a village. Awesome. Well, Dr. Padilla, let's really get into it because um, when I was contacted with you know information about you, I was personally just blown away uh, for a few reasons, first and foremost, because you are down in my hometown, Miami. And so any chance that I get to plug in with anybody just to, to feel the Miami vibes up here in Atlanta, where I'm based, um, it's, it's always an opportunity I welcome. But um, from your background as a physician, as a healthcare leader, but then an entrepreneur, um, and even an author, you know, I was really just fascinated to pull you onto the show to really explore it. So I would love um, for my next question for you, Dr. Padilla, to um, share with our listeners um, something about your current role, your professional background, but most importantly, what led you down this path that you're on? Well, the, the third uh, question is, is, is really something that was born out of frustration. Perhaps entrepreneurs often follow a certain path because they see that something is wrong or, 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 or may have a better solution. So my, my current role is and will always be 
orthopedic hand surgery. Today, I, I just got home and I, I did the slower day than usual. I did 10 surgery today in uh, my outpatient surgery center. But um, what I'm finding is that that actually is not the challenging role for me. It's my other hat, which is as being what, I, what I'm calling myself now is a reluctant healthcare entrepreneur, where I, I realized that how patients came to me was incredibly inefficient and that the marketplace needed uh, a better solution for how patients access orthopedic care. And so my, my, my second hat is, uh, unfortunately, being CEO of uh, this company called OrthoNow. Uh, what I would love to do is, is simply focus on being the chief medical officer. But because I'm currently the sole funder of this venture, I, I am the CEO. And I've, I've had two prior, uh, actually three prior CEOs, I would say, who really didn't work out. And, um, and I'm on the path of uh, really finding the right strategic uh, investor partner to take this really to the next level. Uh, I want to continue focusing on being a surgeon, but again, I developed OrthoNow simply out of need in the marketplace. That, that was it. It wasn't um, something that, <laughs> Lord knows, it was nothing uh, economic, on the contrary. Uh, but if this uh, succeeds, uh, that will be an, a really a very, very fulfilling to the physician and uh, a member of our society. Well, so uh, I, again, I can resonate with a number of things you just shared there, Dr. Badia, because um, even for myself, a healthcare professional, all the work that I've done has been around strategy, project management, process improvement. And I finally had that feeling like, I think I could do a better job than what I was doing within the corporate organizations I worked for. And so took the leap of faith. So that definitely resonates. And, you know, whether it's crazy or, you know, we were talking ahead of our conversation, our official recording here, that if people are telling us we're crazy for doing it, then we're probably on the right path. Um, (laughs) Would love for you to maybe speak to that entrepreneurship mindset. You know, you identified the need, you took the leap to just create the organization and kind of make it happen. What what was that process like for you? Because, you know, like myself, again, you know, it's we grow up in healthcare organizations or probably pursued the highest level of education for yourself personally. But now you're totally deviating to a brand new world. Entrepreneurship is, you know, the technician in us. We're really good at it, but it's the entrepreneur, the business manager. Those are the things I'm finding in my path now. But what has that entire transition or journey been like for you personally, kind of making that same shift and creating the organizations you started? Well, I, I would say it's it's the most difficult thing I've ever done. It's uh, frankly, it's more difficult than my surgical residence because it's not amount it's not the amount of hours or because I was well prepared for that. Uh, what I wasn't well prepared for is understanding the uh, nuances of business, um, uh, managing uh, the the relationships. You know, when I was a resident at Bellevue Hospital, if my Chief resident told me to jump. I mean, my it was like the military. My next question was how high, and it's not like that in business. And um, I wasn't prepared for the fact that that a great idea uh, isn't enough, uh, and you you have to you, you have to convince people. You have to have the right network. You have to have the data, even though to me it's intrinsically obvious that you know a patient would say an ankle sprain is much better served by coming to an ortho now than sitting six hours in a hospital and competing with somebody with a myocardial infarction, right? I mean, but in business, that doesn't matter. Uh, they want to see the data. So uh, I was ill-prepared. I, 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 you know, I don't have an MBA. 
uh, I don't, I'm not great at reading a, a spreadsheet or a PL statement or certainly reading a legal contract, uh, but I do have a pretty good marketing mentality. So I, I felt that I was able to transmit that message, but it was the execution that's really been difficult. And then healthcare is different than any other business because we're depending upon a third party. It's the only business where you're purchasing something that you're not really paying for as a patient. And you're not, and as, as, as a person receiving, you're not getting it from the person that you're giving the service to. And that's the insurance industry. And I, I was amazed that the insurance industry did not embrace this concept wholeheartedly because it made sense for everybody. Um, so th- those are the, have been the big surprises. And, you know, really, if I, if, I, if I could do it over again, I would have from the very beginning uh, uh, really put together the right team. And uh, I, I, th- those are the greatest mistakes I made along the way. I, I think I was much too trusting. And that's, that's a problem with physicians. Uh, many times we, we um, you know, the truth is we, 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 are, we tend to be altruistic, right? We all take an oath and we think that people are always going to do the right thing. Um, and, and that hasn't, you know, that hasn't always been my experience in the business world, uh, sad to say. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm persevering and I, I know there's great people out there. And I, and I think that COVID is actually going to have a big silver lining. There's a huge uh, interest in what we're doing now because anything to keep patients out of the hospital. So, uh, so I've learned, I've learned from these mistakes. We're very focused right now. Um, and that, that's, that's the, uh, the, the path we're on now is finding the right. No, perfect. I, I appreciate that deeper dive. And again, I, I want to kind of turn the script just a little bit also, because from a lot of the research that I did with, you know, preparing for our conversation here, um, you've also led the way in that area in a lot of ways around telemedicine and telehealth, some of the innovative things you're doing around your surgical practice. So um, for somebody who's still figuring out the hardest thing he's ever done in his life, um, you've looks like you've you've had some successes, at least being on my end as I've started to research and try to prepare. So I do want to give you uh, kudos for that, but I want to move you to the next question because I, I, I do want to dig a little bit deeper around the, the failure type of mindset. Um, and I'll, I'll share with you, Dr. Badia, this is one of our fan favorite questions because they do want to learn from other senior healthcare leaders like yourself, what was that best moment of failure? Um, you know, how did that story, that situation kind of come together? But then most importantly, what was your lesson learned that, you know, allowed you to kind of take the next steps forward? So we'd love to throw that question at you and, and learn a little bit more in that same mindset. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the, uh, the moment of failure is when I realized that some of the, the, some of the people I had on the team really did not have the same mindset as, as I did. I, I think I was naive, naive in thinking that, um, that if you do the right thing, that that other that other thing, you know, the good will follow. And I, I think that there, um, I, I worked with a fair number of people who were sort of short-sighted and maybe out for their, their, their own interests rather than the interests of the greater organization. And, and of course, in, our, in this case, really the healthcare system. And certainly if this concept took off as it should, uh, the rewards would be there. But um, but, you know, not everyone has vision and that, that's something I learned. So I think one of my failures was um, not realizing that, you know, I'm not saying that people have necessarily ill intentions, but if they don't have vision and they're not thinking down, down the road, uh, they're not going to be aligned with you. 
And I was not good at perceiving that. I, I, I um, you know, I, I'm sad to say that uh, really the person I co-founded this with was really a huge disappointment. This is a person who had much more business uh, acumen than I had. And I, and, you know, once you part ways, you look under the hood and you realize, my God, uh, there, there were so many monumental uh, mistakes made here. And I, I, I was too trusting. So I, I think that, a, um, that an entrepreneur, a sort of self-starter, has to, be, um, has to scrutinize much more of their team and, and not be so, as naive as I have been. Uh, that, that would be the, the, the one thing I would say. And so I, I, I would love to have these conversations with, you know, whether it be Peter Thiel or Zuckerberg or, or Bezos or, you know, or Bill Gates. Uh, the people that you surrounded with early on, I mean, how do you decide that those are the folks who are going to be with you for the long haul? Um, I, 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 I honestly have failed miserably in that aspect. Well, and I'll share again, I'm only three years in with my business and kind of my entrepreneurial journey right here. But the one way that I've tried to balance many of those same feelings that you just shared was by really digging into the different operations that I'm setting up in my business. So, um, you know, kicking off my marketing process and, you know, really understanding how I want to do marketing, how I want to do sales outreach, how I even want to do this podcast, right? Um and so that's been my way to kind of balance. So when I do pull people in to help me, I can give them that detailed process to say, okay, this is what I'm anticipating. This is how I want to see things done. Um, let me ask just to that same mindset, have, have you taken any approaches like that to help you kind of get over that different, the, the various humps with people as they've come in and out of your business and out of your professional entrepreneurial life like that, or, or any other strategies that have kind of helped, again, you know, kind of keep you above the tides with, with all the different transitions? Well, I think one has to realize that, um, you know, that people are vastly different. Not everyone is going to have the same vision. If you believe in the idea and the concept, you persevere, then while you'll make a ton of mistakes along the way, and I, you know, I, I've read uh, the book, The Messy Middle, right? So nobody talks about mm -hmm. the middle of, and I, you know, you talk about that, that excite, you know, you start a business in the garage and that sort of romantic notion. And then, and then when you sell or when you, you do this big merger, right. But nobody talks about all those years in between. And those are the years where, um, where you're really going to, you know, you're going to almost chug through ideas, through protocols, through concepts and, and through people. There's no question about it. I mean, I think it's rare that the entrepreneur is going to stick with the same have the same people they started with. So I, I think it's a matter of focusing on what the uh, end game is and, and what your concept is. I mean, something, something grabbed you as an entrepreneur to say, you know what, I want to disrupt this. I want to create this. And you have to focus on that. And I'll tell you, the, the, the challenge I have is I love being a surgeon so much that there are days where I go, geez, uh, you know, let me just focus on, I mean, that's the part I love. Um, I, the other part with so many elements that I cannot control, uh, I'll tell you, I mean, it's just frequently I say, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, hang it up. Um, and, and, and it's very hard to keep going. It really is. And I, uh, you know, misery loves company. So once in a while, I like reading these essays from other, <laughs> from other entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, some of them are billionaires. And you, you read this and you say, well, you know, I, I, many people talk about the, the, the fact that they 
were about to quit when their idea really hit. Um, so I, I kind of keep that in, in, in the back of my mind. Again, you know, the first quote, you know, quitters never win, right? And, and winners never quit. So, uh, you know, it's a really basic paradigm, but, but it, it works. So um, that's, where I, that's where I'm at now. Um, and I, but I still enjoy, you know, today, uh, uh, there are two or three surgeries that just like, wow, they just, you know, they went so well. And, and that's what I get a charge from. So I have to focus on those positive feelings. And then the, the frustrations with uh, essentially, you know, with a startup company, uh, just keep focusing on, on, on what, what the end goal is. So keep staying focused on that why and just being resilient, pushing through. Um, yeah. Respect that to the fullest. Um, let me move us to the next question, kind of dig us out of the uh, that, that dark place a little bit. But uh, Dr. Badillo, uh-huh. would love to get you to share with our audience um, a tip, a tool, or a tactic that you've used either through your medical side or your entrepreneurial side, but um, any approach, any strategy that you've used for building up intimate connections within the teams that you work with, um, share with us what it is and how'd you use it? Well, I think the, 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 the people that, um, that you're working with, they, they have to share your vision. And for that to happen, they, they have to know that you, you, you trust them, that you respect them, and that um, and and that you care about their opinion. So so that's one of the challenges I have is that um, because it's not my only focus, I often don't have time to go up and literally sit down, you know, with the receptionist and just have a cup of coffee and, and ask he or her, um, what you know, what do you think we can do better? What what do you love about this job? How do we impact uh, uh, you know our patients? What do you, that uh, that's the problem and, and the frustration I have is that I often don't have time to do that as much. But I will say that that is the one thing when I do have time to do it and I do it, I find that makes a huge difference. Uh, people need to know you care, and we often get focused on uh, you rewards we think will motivate people. And yes, we you know everyone wants to make a good living and, and, and monetary uh, rewards or other other perks. But the truth is 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 Letting people know you value them and reminding them of what they're doing um, in in that role. And you know we're very lucky in healthcare. Uh, I, I I could not you know uh, uh, both guys on both of my neighbors are are kind of financial guys. One guy's like a wealth man. I, I I still don't understand really what he does. He's like a wealth manager. And the other guy you know uh, is a mortgage and and they make a lot of money. But I I would not be able to motivate my team with that that with that sort of stuff. Whereas with healthcare, I think it's easier. I mean, all you got to do is take one example on a day. Look at how you helped this lady who came in limping and in and really excruciating pain, and they went home feeling so much better. Um, that's and not that you know. And I'm not. Please, I'm not trying to to uh, belittle other sectors of, of the economy or profession. I'm just saying that in healthcare, if you can focus on what we're doing at a people level. I mean, we're so privileged uh, to be able to, 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 um, to bond to another human being at that level, to be able to re, you know, reduce a fracture or, or put a needle in somebody's joint, you know? Like, that, I mean, I'm not even talking about like what I did certain, today I was thinking about that. I was uh, opening somebody's forearm and cutting the ulna, taking out six millimeters of their ulna, to shorten the ulna and putting a 10 hole titanium plate and as I was doing that, I was thinking, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years. I think, 
oh my God, what a privilege. And somebody's trusting me, open them up and put plates and screws in them. Um, that's, you know, and it doesn't have to be at that level, right? The receptionist who greets that person who comes in and says, hey, let me get you a wheelchair. Can I get you something to drink? Let me speak to the clinician and, and tell them you're a lot, in a lot of pain. Let's see if we can hurry that up. That person's role is equally important and, and they need to know that. And I wish I had more time to impart that. I really do. Um, that's, that's the easy part of our job is that what we do uh, at the human level uh, counts so much. So if we can harness that, um, that, that's, you know, that part is easy. Now, for every other profession, my, my friends who are attorneys and all of that, it's, you know, they have to pull up something else, right, to make their, their job. Um, and, and, and that's fine. I mean, we all, every, you know, everybody has their, their, their role in society. But I, I just think we're really privileged. Um, and I, I, I just wish I had more time to, to harness the, those good feelings. Uh, that's wonderful to hear. And, you know, Dr. Badia, for me, I actually started my healthcare. Um, I started my career graduating from the University of Miami. And then um, I, I went to work at Florida Power and Light. Oh, so I love that company, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually started outside yeah. of healthcare before I finally made my move into healthcare. I started my healthcare career at uh, Duke University Hospital. And what I realized very quickly is that healthcare leaders, healthcare people are just built different. And that's a lot of what I got from, you know, as, as you were kind of sharing your thought there. Um, but then that other part of it, you know, the fact that you don't always have the time, but when you have the time to make those connections with your team members and the impacts that they're making on, you know, the patients and the folks you all are serving, what I've learned also in my healthcare career is that that is multiplied in ways that we can't even start to imagine. Um, a good experience with a receptionist or whomever, one of your physicians then carries over to the family members and they go out back into the communities and hopefully they're carrying good vibes and reconnecting with folks in good ways. Like the multiplying effect just goes on in a lot of different ways. So, um, so totally love everything you had to share there. Um, next question I have for you. you know, then. It's interesting that you oh. say that Jarvis, because uh, yeah. um, that's what we depend on with ortho now. The problem is it's not a real level playing field in healthcare. And I, I want to bring this out. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're a big healthcare system or, healthcare insurance company, you have incredible resources for marketing and penetration into, uh, into the media. I mean, if you think about it, um, even in my own local newspaper, I've been here 25 years, you know, my local, my, the only daily newspaper in Miami has never written an article that said how we impact people's lives. You know, uh, here it's all about, you know, uh, what the hell, I just say it. It's, you know, you know, Baptist Health. It's a great hospital, but like, you know what? we're realizing with COVID hospitals are not about everything. Mm -hmm. And, and so what we've depended on is exactly what you said is the patient goes back and talks about it to a coworker to uh, you know, the other parents on the kid's soccer team or, um, or their uh, you know, their, their club that they go to, that they socialize in. And that's where we, uh, we can make an impact because and that's why I'm so eager to, um, to talk with the right strategic partner that's got capital, it's got manpower, because we've been able to be successful just at that grassroots level. If all of a sudden we add the capital to say, okay, put a full page ad in our local newspaper, the Miami Herald, right? And, and, and be able to, you know, it, because it's not like hospitals are going away or, you know, there's room for all of us in the sandbox. 
but but these big players have really kept us down. And the only reason we've succeeded is because what you just said is that that patient who's been treated well goes back and says, hey, you know, I went to this place called ortho. Uh, what is it? Oh, yeah, ortho now. Uh, yeah, they saw me now. I was in and out in, in about 70 to 80 minutes. Uh, I walked out with a cast. They made the diagnosis. And, and, it, and they were also pleasant. It was a pleasant experience. Um, that, that, is, that is the one thing that we can hang our hat on. And I'm hoping that healthcare can move more towards that direction, become very impersonal. Uh, but when you can personalize, you can show uh, the, the, the people you care for that you care, then what you, what you just said resonates and, 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 and that, can, that can really take off. And I, I think to your, to your thinking as well, Doc, is um, COVID, I think, is part of that level playing field of pa- yep. Im, you know, impact that's coming. Because again, I, I've seen a lot of small groups here in the Atlanta market who are already, again, situated with um, telemedicine and quick check-in processes and, you know, VIP pass type concepts. They have truly taken off over the past several months now. Um, So, yeah, I think think this is a time where being agile, being nimble, swift, is really the advantage versus you know, the big players. So we've been doing it for years. I, 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 my own practice was about a third of my surgical practice. Mm-hmm. Um, my up, upper limb surgery practice are international patients, you know, partly because I live in Miami, right? It's a very international city. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm bilingual. Um, but I also realized that it was very frustrating dealing with the U.S. health insurance company. So I deal with a lot of international insurance. Um, and, and the telemedicine is a great tool because if you're, uh, say in, you know, in Ecuador, right? I see a lot of people in Guayaquil or say Lima, Peru. Before they jump on a plane, they want to make that connection with you. And you, like, just like you and I are speaking now, the only thing I can't do is touch your shoulder. But if I wanted to examine your shoulder, I could check your range of motion. You could tell me your issue, send me your images through uh, the web, through some platforms that we have. And then, then you jump on a plane. You're like, okay, I'm ready to have that rotator cuff repair. Well, before COVID, um, domestically, that was a big challenge because we had, and then OrthoNow had a separate platform that we use called OrthoNow Live. OrthoNowLive.com is a a telehealth platform for orthopedic care, and yet very few people used it. Now, every day, we do anywhere from two to five consultations on patients sometimes who live in Miami, and they'd say, you know what, I don't want to deal with Miami traffic, <laughs> or, or you know, grandma's nervous about going anywhere out of the house right now, so we're going to be able to get an assessment remotely, and as you said, COVID has been that game changer, and, and it's not going back. I mean, I think it's going to diminish a little bit, but yeah, it, it's going to definitely continue, and I think this is going to be a real silver lining to, uh, to this unfortunate pandemic is that there is going to be a lot of good that's going to come out of this. And that's, that's one of the things is increasing role of telehealth and technology. I mean, we haven't even talked about the app uh, that OrthoNow has. Well, it, telehealth is part of it, but you can inform uh, the nearest OrthoNow that you're on your way. It's called On My Way Now. We trademarked that phrase, On My Way Now. And you can send a picture of that, that big old ankle sprain. And then that way we have the x-ray machine set up for an ankle instead of a lumbar spine series. <laughs> so you imagine that. And then you can send a picture and then you can call an Uber or a Lyft within our app. So these are all game changing. Uh, so we, we're, we're seeing increasing, uh, if you look at the stats, I mean, it's incredible how the funding 
for uh, digital health right now. So, um, you know, we're just hoping to be able to participate in that. That's all. Well, and I tell you what's was really cool, uh, Dr. Padilla, is watching you. You know, we kind of started the conversation. I think you were Dr. Padilla, the surgeon. But what I just saw in the last few minutes has been Dr. Padilla, the entrepreneur. So, um, so again, I, I love just kind of seeing how you lit up through that entire conversation. And I, I agree. I think, you know, shame on us if we let any of the advancements that we've made over the past 12 to 16 months now yeah. slip backwards. But, yeah. you know, I'm willing to bet we're in the future of healthcare and it's only going to continue to go up as people start to see these changes really take hold. Um, but uh, doc, let me, let me move you to the next question because I think this still kind of plays into the same mindset, but I'd love for you to share with, with us one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare leader. And again, just kind of share with us the idea, but most importantly, if you were able to turn it into a personal or a professional success. Yeah, I think, you know, we all have along this journey, a lot of aha moments. I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a uh, big statistics guy. I, I like to bring forward ideas, vignettes on a more personal level. So I'd rather sort of tell a story. Um, it, it's in the book, so I'm almost reticent to tell it because I, I want people to really read it. But I'm going to go ahead because it's the one that, that stands out for me. But um, I, I, I had a patient, I walk into the room, uh, she's in terrible shoulder pain. I start getting a history and I realize that she, she works as a um, sort of a waitress in a sports bar that my dad likes to go to or, or like to go to. He hasn't been in a while now. He's older, but he would go to this place and they would really take care of him. There were two main, main, uh, you know, waitresses there. And she, uh, you know, there's a lot of beer there, of course. So she slipped on the, on the floor and, and, and fell on her outstretched arm and, and really hurt her shoulder very badly. And the, uh, the employer, uh, of course, sends her, you know, called, you know, talks to the insurance company and they send her to this general occupational health center. So if she goes there and, you know, as, as typically happens, they, they call it a sprain. Oh, you have a shoulder sprain. You know, I'm a shoulder surgeon. I still, to this day, I'm not really sure what that means. I know what an ankle sprain is. I do not know what a shoulder sprain is. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a grade two tear of the, the middle glenohumeral ligament. Or what, I don't know what it is, but all I know is that's not a specific enough diagnosis for somebody in pain. They send her to therapy. The more therapy she does, it hurts. Um, they send her for an MRI. The MRI is not so so clear as to what's going on. Um, bottom line is this lady went on for a year almost with shoulder pain. Now, understand, I said she's a waitress at a place that my father frequents, which means I've actually met her. I, now, I, I didn't realize that at the time. When she told me where she worked, I go, I must have met you, ma'am. Um, I, you know, I go there every once in a while with my dad. And uh, what's ironic is, you know, you kindly served my dad and I, and you don't know that, you know, I'm pretty well known in this community as a shoulder surgeon. And yet you had a major shoulder problem and you never get to me. And she said, well, you know what? I asked for a specialist and they kept doing the same thing. And I got, I, they, they gave me, a, they did the second MRI as if, as if the MRI is going to treat her pain. Well, when I saw her and I looked at the MRI, I go, you know, I suspect this and this, but the truth is we not we won't know until I put the arthroscope in. So I booked her for the procedure. Second, I go in, the, the whole labrum, and I don't want to get too technical, but the, the labrum is this structure that surrounds the cup of it called the glenoid, and it stabilizes the shoulder. And that had totally detached. It was torn. Mm. And that's frequently missed on an MRI. Um, so, so I repair it. So guess what happens? Because the insurance said, oh, you have to go to this therapy place 
They sent her to a place that started moving her shoulder. And she says, no, wait, wait, the doctor told me I, I can't really move it much for three weeks because this has to heal. He did a repair. And they, they sort of ignored her. She is in tears. So when I saw her in the office, I saw her a week later. She says, yeah, they, they already sent me to some therapy place. I go, well, I didn't write that order. I didn't, say, I didn't authorize for you to go to that place. Uh, but it, the insurance dictated everything. Um, so I, I said, well, let me see if they, if they disrupted the repair. I have an MRI machine. I'm not kidding you. She was in, I only have four exam rooms. The, the MRI is literally ac across a six foot hallway behind the wall. So the MRI machine is literally about 12 feet from her. I'm not joking. It's right there. It's an in-office MRI. I said, well, we'll get you in the machine and let me, let me see. Nope. The insurance wouldn't authorize it. So the boyfriend at that point says, you know what? What does this cost? I just put it on my visa for God's sake. They did the MRI. I found, thank God, that the repair looked good. I didn't have to take her back to surgery. Um, what was amazing to me is that the insurance adjuster, who I, I name in my book, I actually put his name. Literally, I, I can't, I guess George Carlin said there's seven words you can't say on TV or radio. So, so Dr. Badia is this. And I said, and my staff was like, what? This is about a patient. This is, so you're not going to approve this. Um, bottom line is the patient did fine, but that was an aha moment for me is that here it was somebody sitting in an office somewhere on another part of the state of Florida was making decisions, healthcare decisions about my patient with no expertise in this. And I said, whoa, this is a problem with our healthcare system. And, and that's why in, in my book, um, there's several basic tenets, but one of them is that we have to minimize the middlemen. We don't need, now it doesn't mean I don't, we don't need oversight, right? I may order two MRIs. I may, you know, be doing surgery when it's not necessary. I may be ordering medication that's not. So that's fine that there is somebody with expertise to oversee from the insurance company or from the state or from the, the federal government. I, I, but to have these barriers, really what I call middlemen in the way, that just drives up care, uh, cost of care because that person has mm -hmm. a salary and benefits and all they did was slow down the care, okay? So that to me was an aha moment where I said, okay, here's a basic problem with our healthcare system. And if I can, if I can get the, the, the political leaders and the health and the business leaders to understand this and say, this is why your healthcare costs are so exorbitant. If, we can, if I can get them to understand this on a micro level, about what that means at a macro level, then maybe we have a hope to bring down the costs of our healthcare and at the same time, improve the quality. So uh, I know for sure, Dr. Badia, that you and I could probably have a nice offline conversation about the role of insurance in healthcare and how it is one of the, it's the linchpin, like fix that problem. And I think it either gets truly better, unfortunately, or truly worse. But um, I love that aha moment because, you know, that journey for that patient, that that's really kind of what I took away from that entire story is she had to live with that for well over a year, you said? A year. Um, yeah, and so that's- Someone who, who knew me, really someone who had met me. That's the irony. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, that that's that's what we can't have in this society. If, you know, if the entire society's focused on taking care of each other, we have to fix that. So um, I, I love the story. I hate the story at the same time, but I love the story yeah. and that aha moment, um, especially as it led to the influence of the book. And we'll absolutely highlight that in a few minutes. Um, I want to move you one more question, then I'll, I'll transition us into our kind of rapid fire session. But, um, you know, with a lot of 
really the the gist of our conversation as I've kind of sat here summarizing in my head, Dr. Padilla, is really where we at today with healthcare and then the future opportunities that God willing, you know, they're right around the corner. They're not too far away, but um, what are some of the changes taking place right now in the healthcare industry that you are personally excited about? Um, and what role, I'll just kind of make this a little bit bigger, but I'll say what role do physician leaders, but most importantly, entrepreneurs play to promote or support his longevity? Well, we, we, are, we already, I mean, the, 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 500 pound gorilla in the room is this pesky little virus. This is exposing a lot of the inefficiencies. We're also realizing that minimizing some of the, not eliminating, but minimizing some of the bureaucracy has a real positive impact in people's lives and, and controlling costs. So for example, these uh, vaccines were, you know, were, were expedited through the FDA. It's not only gonna, gonna save lives, but it's also impacting the economy in a big way, right? So. Uh, I think that, that, that COVID is creating a major change and allowing us to finally, and I, I could send you an article I wrote exactly 10 years ago, where I talked about the role of, of outpatient specialty centers in, in dramatically decreasing healthcare costs. So as, as I said before, you know, not every ankle sprain or minor fracture or back pain should go to a hospital emergency. That's not what, that's not what they're there for. Um, and now we're seeing, because of the, the trepidation about going to a hospital environment, uh, and well before COVID, there was MRSA, right? There was, there was other nosocomial infections. There was the cost, the, often the inefficiency, right? It's the nature of, of a big system. Uh, we're seeing a, a move to outpatient centers. Uh, just an hour ago, I was uh, in my uh, board meeting for, my, for the outpatient surgery center that uh, I'm one of the founders of. And tomorrow we're doing two hip, now I don't do hips, so my colleague will do two hip replacements. That was unheard of a few years ago. And even Medicare now, CMS has approved uh, hip replacements to be done on an outpatient basis. That is a major, major shift. And what I'm hoping is that it just doesn't happen from say policy, but rather letting the clinicians decide what is safe and what is optimal. Again, with oversight, okay? But um, to give the contrast, uh, I do a lot of shoulder replacement and CMS has not approved shoulder uh, arthroplasty replacements to be approved on an outpatient basis. Well, that's silly, right? You don't walk on your shoulders, you walk on your, you walk on your legs. So a hip replacement is actually a much bigger operation uh, and more impactful to be done outpatient than shoulder replacement or thumb replacement, which I did today as well, a small incision. Now, I cannot do Medicare patients because they won't pay for the implant. So, so Medicare needs to, you know, I won't use the word get out of the way, but, but talk with the people in the trenches and say, what can we do to, to approve these procedures to be done in what places so that, so that we can bring down the, the cost of healthcare delivery? And make, I think make it a, this a is yes happening if. now. What's that? Yeah, make it a yes if type of a conversation, not no, but yes if uh, yeah, certain criteria. To, yeah, right. Yeah, uh, it's a great way to put it. I, 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 I exactly. It's there has to be a dialogue, and and yes, they can have concerns, um, and they may even say no on certain things. But if there's no dialogue, how are we possibly going to move forward? So yeah. I'm 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 very optimistic now. Uh, certainly, the the surgery center industry is just taking. Off. I mean, it's just taking. Off. Um, so we're actually doing pacemakers in our center. 
I mean, wow. at first we were just doing battery changes. He, uh, the the uh, cardiothoracic special was doing, and then he, he realized how smooth it was and how safe it was, how good the anesthesiologists were. He said, well, I'm not going to just do a battery change. I'm going to do a full pacemaker insertion. Um, that, think about what that, what cost in healthcare savings is, as opposed to doing that in a big hospital. Uh, I, you know, I really hope the insurance industry is listening because I want them to understand, I talk about this in a book. We want to work with the health insurance uh, industry. There are partners. We should be working together. And that, that is not happening right now. There is this incredible wall between us. And I don't get it. We both have the same goals. We all want to make money. Great. I'm a capitalist. I fled Cuba. I, I, I left the communist system. I, you know, I, I want to make money like the next person. But let, if we're smart about it, we can, we can do good as, as, at the same time as we're doing well. And I learned that from, a, from an old patient of mine who works for United Way. You can, you, can, you, can, you can do well by doing good. And we should be collaborating in order to do that for, for, the, for the greater good of our society. And I, I'd venture to say, um, as a, a newbie still, you know, I know I've been at it a few years, but I still wake up every day and still feel new to this entrepreneurship game. But there is more to be gained from a business point of view, if our only focus is to do the best, provide the best service possible, period. Um, so love that mindset. I, I think you're spot on. And um, again, that's that's the role that I've learned as an entrepreneur is that when it comes to solving problems, I think we kind of stated this much earlier in our conversation, but it's folks who are who have this vision to solve a problem, and those tend to fall into entrepreneurs. Um, and unfortunately, the big corporations, they don't promote entrepreneurs. So folks who are still in corporate and have that entrepreneurial mindset, and, but still want to work. Um, so it, it's a you unusual dynamic, but I, I really appreciate everything you said there. Um, it, it resonates big time with me. Um, Dr. Badia, let me let me move you into a part of our show that we call the two minute drill. So this is very much taken from my days of playing ball down in college, uh, down in Miami and trying to figure out a nice way to segue into a rapid fire Q&A. But uh, let me check with you really quickly. Are you ready to rock and roll on these Q&A questions? For sure. All right. Perfect. So first question I have for you, Dr. Badia, is something of a two parter. Um, well, first love for you to tell our quality people, our audience here something about your current role that inspires you to do your best, then also share with us, how do you inspire others within your organization? Well, the, gr the great thing, you know, it, as a healthcare entrepreneur, if you're, if you're still in the trenches, uh, that, that question is actually easy because uh, each and every patient that I'm fortunate and privileged enough to put a scalpel on, uh, I see them post-op and I see that they're, that how well they're doing, uh, hopefully, right? And that, um, that is a sort of microcosm of the overall healthcare delivery paradigm. So I, I, you know, again, I'm not great with stats. So if I could just um, bring it down to the patient. Um, and, and so what I'm able to do is take that example. I just did it uh, uh, an hour ago with one of the, uh, one of the sales guys from a company. Uh, today we did a thumb, a thumb replacement. I mentioned that. And I told him, uh, about the one that we did um, two weeks ago. And I told him how well the patient was doing. That simple comment, you know, inspired him to say, you know what, I want to I educate other surgeons about this treatment option. And that has a downstream uh, economic effect, not to mention the altruistic part. So being a, a clinician uh, allows me to take, you know, specific examples 
and amplify them to the, the greater cause. Perfect. Love that. And what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? <laughs> you know, what, what immediately comes to mind is um, the, a very smart uh, uh, guy who was a patient of mine, very close to the, uh, he was very close to the Trump organization. And I remember, um, I, I, you know, we, we do a lot of boating in Miami, as you know, Jarvis, and uh, we went out, uh, we were on my boat, I was down in, and uh, he said, you know what, there's this, um, you're not going to be able to really fight big pharma or health insurance industry. So just really just enjoy your family and just don't fight it. Um, I want to say that because that was career advice. And I have to admit, I kind of listened to him and I go, man, my life would be a lot easier if I just listened to that advice. But I did not listen to that advice. So this was career advice that um, after I thought about it a bit, I, I, I just um, vehemently rejected it. So sometimes you get... People say things that inspire you. Sometimes you get people that just drive you to work harder. All and right, I, he, he meant no ill will. He meant nothing. But I, I understand the message. But you know what? Um, uh, you know, we'd still think that the, uh, that the, the universe revolves around the earth if, if, if Copernicus didn't, uh, didn't say, you know what, guys, there's something called the sun. And, <laughs> and I think that, um, that, that sometimes you just have to buck the, uh, the I love that. I, I want to say, Doc, that is the first time we've had the best piece of career advice on this on this uh, podcast, being like reverse mindset advice. But um, I love it. And to me, it, it definitely goes back to how you started our conversation. Quitters never win. Winners never quit. Um, so that advice is definitely kind of pushed you in the right direction. So awesome job. Um, next question I have for you. If you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be and why? Wow. <laughs> Man, can I have a second negative answer? <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I got to tell you, Jarvis, what keeps me going is, is really what, I, again, I, I've always thought that, that, I mean, being a physician in general, but of course, I, I, you know, I can only relate to what I do. And, and being a surgeon to me is such a privileged thing. So um, I'm not sure that, I, I can't imagine myself trading with somebody. I, I think I look at it more as I, I wish I had more of the business acumen. And, uh, and when our CFO was with us, I wish I had the tools that he had. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think he applied them the way he could have. Um, and I wish I, I, I really wish I had um, that preparation and that background so that I could apply it. But, um, but I, I don't think I would, I would trade roles with it. But I will right. tell you, I remember when I was a resident at Bellevue, there were times when I was making rounds and I was up for two straight days and I would look at a patient with like an open tibia fracture with an external fixator on his leg. Uh, you know, unfortunately often a homeless gentleman or something. And I remember there were times when I was so tired, I was jealous of that patient. I wish I could be laying there and get three square meals. That's when you know you're working too hard. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we were privileged to care for a lot of patients. So that that is... Um, that, that, you know, nobody, nobody can ever take that away from them. No, no bureaucrat, no insurance company. Uh, what we do every day is, is really. No, that, that's awesome feedback. And doc, I will share with you about a 50, 50 split where some folks give an answer that they would trade a job. And then the other half of, uh, of, uh, my guests, they totally say everything you just said, like, no, nope, I'm right? good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're in good company, no matter what. <laughs> Uh, next question I have for you. Um, could you please share a personal habit that contributes to your success? And again, I, I like to switch this up just a little bit. 
and says contributes to your success as an entrepreneur? Well, this, this is a more general, um, I, I pride myself on accessibility and people don't think that that would be possible. Uh, I, I, I have told my staff multiple times, look, I'm not that important. If somebody's trying to reach me or somebody comes to my waiting room, at least let me know. There are rare times when I'll say, you know what, I'm, I can't really talk to that person now. I can't, but um, I believe, and, and at the same time, I'm one of these crazy people. I answer my cell phone uh, always. Um, now, yes, do I get spam calls? Yes, but it takes a second to immediately, you know, hear that recording and just hang up because you just never know who is going to be calling you who needs you. So for me, it might be a, a, a patient, um, not that you typically have my cell number, but it might be somebody who's trying to, to reach me. But uh, I can tell you it happened to me uh, last year where the Speaker of the House for the Florida uh, Congress uh, was calling me on my cell. And now I, <laughs> I regret to say that I answered and we spoke and we never spoke again uh, because these people, are, but, but at least, um, at least I can say that I, I answered the phone. So I, I would tell uh, people that a, a very important habit is to just really be accessible. Do not, do not put a wall around because you just never know where the, uh, the right opportunity may come. Wonderful. Love that feedback there. Um, what is a go-to website or mobile application that helps you execute on the work that you that you lead? Well, what we're using on a daily basis now, I have to give a plug for our own website. We uh, we we just won our second national award for the website called the Ortho Now. So if you're if you're listeners now, it's not as fun as a wine app or a dating app, okay? But if you're listeners who think they might ever be in pain or any family member or coworker or employee might get hurt. Take 10 seconds, go to your app store, Android or iPhone, just type in Ortho Now, and you're gonna see it'll come up, Ortho Now official mobile app. And on that app, you can let us know that you're on your way. You can uh, see our social media, go directly to different platforms and see what people are saying about us. Um, you, We use that, uh, I use that to communicate with the clinician, so if somebody, uh, is seeing a fracture at ortho now and wants to see it, if my opinion, I look at the x-rays uh, right here on, on my phone and I can say, I agree with you, that just needs a cast or you know what, uh, let me see them tomorrow. I might, I might need to, to put a plate there to, to fix that. Um, that has been a game changer. So I, I would say that's the, the really the go-to uh, app. In terms of networking, I'm a big LinkedIn guy. Um, I've... Uh, I, I, you know, especially now when we're trying to find the right um, strategic partner, um, LinkedIn's been amazing for us. So, so th th I would say those are the two uh, platforms. All right. Well, I will uh, substantiate that because just right before our show here, I actually sent you a request to connect on LinkedIn. Um, I literally live on LinkedIn. So <laughs> it's great. Uh, yeah. Next uh, question I have for you. I would love if you could share with our listeners a professional society and a professional conference that you think would be a value add? Well, um, just recently, uh, an organization, and I, I, you know, again, my, my naivety as a surgeon, I, I wasn't even very well aware, but startup.com has a, uh, a new platform that, that sort of almost for mentorship. Um, you know what? The name escapes me right now. If you go to startup.com, uh, you'll see that. So I'm about to engage with that. And then they put you into small groups. With, with similar goals so that you can bounce ideas off other people. And then there's sort of a, a moderator mentor. And believe me, I, I use plenty of mentors. So, uh, so that, that for me is, is going to be very interesting. 
Um, in terms of conferences, you know, the problem is, again, I'm, I'm a clinician. So when I talk about conferences, my God, I mean, before COVID, I was, you know, attending a, you know, either a hand surgery or an arthroscopy or an orthopedic conference on average every three to four weeks, uh, many of them traveling. So that's what comes to mind. Um, I'm at the point now where I have to shift and go more towards um, sort of healthcare entrepreneurial ones. But there's a lot of them out there. And I have to say, um, uh, they, um, how can I put this? They, they have not been as engaged with what we're doing as I thought they would be. So I, I, I realized that in the end, it's often who you know. So you have to talk to the right people who you know, may speak to the conference organizers and say, you know, these crazy guys in Miami who are trying to disrupt orthopedic care should really be at our meeting. Um, so, um, so those are the, the kind of conferences I'm looking to, uh, to get more involved in. But again, it always, it always butts heads with my, my, my surgical conferences, which in the end is, is, is really my priority. I, I have to confess that. That is really my priority. And that, that's exactly why I need the right um, healthcare partner to, you know, who, can, who can focus on, on growing ortho. Wonderful. Um, and I, I think that's going to be key. Um, I just even wrote a note as you were speaking there, the healthcare entrepreneurship conference is, is something I've never even looked into. So I, I just want to give, um, just say thank you for that mindset. Um, and, and yeah, no, I just, I, I think I had a couple of other thoughts. I mean, even where you started with the startup.com, the mentorship program, yeah. I just want to, you know, maybe place a plug out there for any of our audience who are in this, you know, maybe, maybe not zone of, you know, considering entrepreneurship as the next part of their careers. Um, you know, Dr. Badia, I've had two business coaches in the last three or so years since I've started my business, just again to, you know, LeBron has a coach, you know, Tom Brady has a coach. So I figured I better consider, you know, a coach as well, even though my business is coaching other healthcare teams around operations and strategy and process improvement. But um, just want to place that plug out there. I thought that was key to note. You're looking for a coach or that's one of the programs you're considering. I've done it. Um, I'm, you know, I'd happily jump into another coaching program when that time comes. But for all of our audience, just placing that plug, that was very key because it's a shift as we've been talking about this entire conversation. So just thank you for those two, two different mindsets. Um, Doc, next question, if you're okay, I'm going to go way off script on this one and would like to take a few minutes to talk about your book that you've shared um, a, a couple of, you know, kind of footnotes on up to now in our conversation. But um, again, as I researched you and just to kind of figure out, like, who is this guy? Um, learned a lot about your impressive background, but then the book stood out, loved the concept and, you know, the, the title of the book, Healthcare from the Trenches, but would just love to give you an opportunity to share with us um, why it is a great resource that all of our audience members should also check out. Sure. Well, the, the book is, was really written for the public. So what, what's interesting, of course, is that healthcare professionals drawn to it. But the, the purpose of the book was to educate the public as to what the problems are in our healthcare. Now, while I don't profess to have a solution for them, uh, fortunately, in the last chapter, some very smart people um, provided a number of ideas, uh, including my own thoughts, about what we can do to, um, to bring down costs uh, while maintaining uh, or even improving quality. 
So the idea is that give a voice to those of us in the trenches. And that's not just the clinicians and the technicians and the therapists, but it's also the patient. There are some patient comments. Um, you're not going to hear a lot in the book about, you know, uh, uh, big uh, healthcare executives or insurance executives or because um, they already have a big voice. There's no politicians who weigh in. The, the idea is the people are actually every day providing healthcare uh, and receiving healthcare to weigh in as to what the problems are. Because we all know, we, we talk about it all the time, but they, you don't hear that on CNN or the New York Times or, you know, or Fox News or your or national magazine. That, that is just not talked about. And uh, that was the idea of the book. And, and yes, it is getting a lot of exposure. And the goal is simply to, to inspire a dialogue uh, about it. It's not, I don't, I don't think the book is going to change anything, but the book may uh, cause some people to start talking about what we can do different. Um, and that's not just arguing about how many people we're going to, uh, how many uninsured we're going to insure. That, that is not going to fundamentally change how we deliver health. Well, if there's one thing that I try to hang my head on with this uh, podcast, podcast, uh, Dr. Padilla, it's the fact, you know, the sole purpose of this podcast is really to, to promote the folks like yourself who are out there trying to get conversations started to, you know, inspire and really just in excite a movement um, because we're all, you know, like you said, trying to focus on doing the right thing, provide high quality care, low cost. Um, so I really hope uh, our audience members get an opportunity to check it out. Again, we will include a link in our show notes when we publish a show for you to make it an easy access so they can click and find it. But again, just want to give you that opportunity. And last question that I have for you, Dr. Badia, then I will let you get to bed because I'm sure <laughs> you've had an extremely long day, sir. But um, this last question is something of a personal favorite because I'm going to try to get you to reflect on your past while also getting you to look forward to your future. So let's say that you're able to send yourself a text message 10 years into the past and one text message 10 years into the future. Take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? Well, 10 years in the past, uh, Jarvis, ironically, is exactly when I started Ortho. Mm. So I'm, I'm not sure you're going to want to hear this <laughs> because the text message might be like, like Alejandro, just stick to doing surgery. That's what you're good at. You cannot disrupt the behemoth that is healthcare delivery. Uh, but again, um, as a entrepreneur, I'm going to say I'm inclined to send myself that message. But the other one would probably be make sure I surround myself with the right people who uh, understand business processes and and get and 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 also. Uh, uh, raise capital at an early time. I didn't do that. Mm. So I, I, I would say, you know, you know, find the right people who can help you raise capital and can help you move the business forward. So don't uh, rely on just the passion as a physician to improve things. That that would be that would be that. So <laughs> I, I don't want to give another negative, but you know, sometimes I have to say. Uh, my own sister said to me, "Why are you doing this? <laughs> you know, you have a successful practice, um, but that's you know, that's a curse of an entrepreneur." Absolutely. Um, how about the message 10 years into the future? Wow. 10 years in the future, I, I, I like to say, uh, Alejandro, you, you, uh, you know, that little kid on the soccer field who sprains his ankle, uh, his mother wouldn't even think of taking him to a major hospital to be looked at. But she's opening her app and she's looking, where is the nearest ortho now and how many minutes will it take me to get there? 
that's what I'd like to say that, uh, I guess the best analogy would be, you know, we don't say, get me a cup of coffee anymore, right? We say, can you grab me a Starbucks? And I'd, I'd love to hear in the future, hey, my back's killing me. Where's the nearest ortho now? Wonderful, wonderful. So, you know, with your first uh, message, Dr. Padilla, I think you should absolutely send yourself the message saying, don't start the business because um, just from our conversation tonight, I know you wouldn't listen to yourself. So you would totally take that as a challenge to start that business and to disrupt all the big players, the big names down in South Florida and the U.S. to come. Um, So I look forward to 10 years from now that that will be the message. When folks hurt themselves, they'll say, where's my ortho now? Um, So uh, I'm praying for your success there. Um, Dr. Badi, I really appreciate this entire conversation. Um, Again, I, I was really inspired by the research. And now having this conversation, I'm inspired by you even more so. So I just want to say thank you. But before I let you off the hook for tonight, would love if you could just give our audience, our quality people, that parting piece of advice. Um, Share the best way that they can connect with you or follow you on social media, and then we'll officially sign off. Well, thank you, Jarvis. Thank you for those those words. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for for folks like yourself, uh, great ideas wouldn't have a platform be able to take off. So, so I, I appreciate that wholeheartedly. And it's all about connection, right? I mean, those are the ones that have, you know, I have two uh, tweens, right? And, and social media is, sometimes is a bit of a curse to me with my 14 and 12 year old. But, um, but I will say there's a lot of positives and you can, uh, uh, you can reach me very easily uh, on, uh, you know, I always forget my handles because there's so many different ones now, but um, on LinkedIn, I mean, it's just, um, um, uh, Alejandro Badia, and then in um, um, in Facebook, it's uh, the same thing. My name, and then there's also the uh, Badia Hand to Shoulder Center and Ortho Now. So Ortho Now, you plug in Ortho Now to almost any social media platform uh, that'll come up, which is really the concept we're trying to uh, to explain. Uh, my website's uh, drbadia.com. That's just B-R-B-A-D-I-A.com, and then you put Dr. Badia Book, drbadiabook.com that will take you to a series of videos that talk about each chapter of the book. And of course, a link to the Amazon uh, website for, for to purchase the healthcare from the trenches book. And if any of your uh, listeners uh, end up reading that, we, we sure would appreciate a, a thoughtful review of the book and some feedback because the, the whole idea of the book, again, was to generate a dialogue. And again, appreciate the opportunity. No, I appreciate your time. Uh, again, I know I've kept you up a long past our book time, but um, great conversation. Again, I'm inspired. I'm thankful for your time tonight. Um, to our quality people everywhere, thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Dr. Badia, and we are officially signing off. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.